The Lean Berets reporting for duty, bringing you physical and health education with a noble purpose. You're listening to the Lean Berets radio show at theleanberets.com. We are Avengers of Health. Hold on to your mask and your mandates because the gloves come off. Welcome, Berets. I'm Ron Jones, and back with us is Michael Campy, and we're the Lean Berets, and we're talking about the COVID chaos today, or Michael might disagree with that, but that's fine, because we're here to disagree or agree and go rationalize left, right, front, and center. Michael, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Ron. I I enjoyed the show thoroughly uh, last week, because it was um, very ad-lib. Mm-hmm. And uh, all natural. Like this one. Yes. And uh, just to bring it up to speed, Michael and I didn't really talk about any like liner notes for today. We just thought we'd talk about the current affairs with COVID. So I'll open up. Uh, we're out here in California. Michael's in the Central Coast. I'm here in Los Angeles County. And here's the developments of last week. Uh, Governor Newsom has been barking about um, everybody staying at home and wearing a mask and social distancing and not having uh, dinners with your family. And then, of course, he was busted having a, going to a private party with dinners that cost $350 a plate, completely out of touch with the populace. On a more disturbing note, in some ways, there, uh, with the travel, uh, not mandates yet, but definitely strong recommendations, uh, some California legislators went to Hawaii for a conference. And, of course, uh, I have a serious doubt that they're following the rules as we speak. So that's kind of where my mindset is at. I'm, I'm thinking that uh, this reminds me of history, Michael, that the intelligentsia or the upper elite people do what they want and the herd gets herded without a stampede cloud of dust. Well, there's a quote, I'm not sure where it's from, but it says the powerful do what they will and the powerless do what they must. Well, that that also has happened historically. You know, we, we were talking about Eric Hoffer last time, and Hoffer, you know, he's a blue-collar guy, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wrote a lot about the dangers of um, the pseudo-intellectuals in control and that, that whole power structure and the lack of faith in the American people within the middle class in particular, and even the lower working classes, to figure it out. He really was pro-American in terms of us being different than the rest of the world. In other words, he recognized that the mongrels all came over here from Europe, and the, the people that were you know, kicked out of whatever they didn't fit into, and we became this culture of people that could just get it done without the upper uh, crust of aristocracy. And um, that bothers a lot of people, because we're just kind of common mongrel-type people that have basically changed the world. So that was his perspective. And I'm kind of feeling a little Hoffer-esque here today, because as as critical as I've been of of, uh, the American idiot, I'm thinking that, you know, there's still enough people out there to 
to to uh, take care of some business. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, first we'll go on the mongrel thing. I'm third generation Californian on both sides of my family, mm-hmm. and I have a serious objection to mongrels moving into my state and fucking it up. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do not think you can find any hay in a sack that was committed on California soil that was actually committed by a Californian. <laughs> That's an interesting perspective, yes. So let's uh, dispense. I mean, if you don't like California, if it bothers you, if it's troublesome for you, go the fuck back to where you came from. <laughs> you know, my family came out here in the 1880s, so both of us have a, a pretty deep lineage with the left coast out here, you know? Mm-hmm. And they, they came out from Minnesota— and they were uh, ranchers and owned um, some small businesses. And so, yeah, and that was in Kern well, there was County. A, there was an article in the National Geographic a long time ago, I guess, um, about Ellis Island. Mm-hmm. And evidently, through the research they did, they determined that about 97% of all Americans traced their lineage on some level back to Ellis Island. That's amazing. Um, or or to Brooklyn. I think they were talking about Brooklyn generally, but mm-hmm. Ellis Island as well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Not sure of the exact figure, but um, I remember finding out and being very proud of the fact that I was in the 3%. My relatives came from Italy. They went to Peru, and from Peru up to San Francisco. Oh, interesting. So that that's a different route, totally different route. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. That is interesting. So, um, yeah, I mean, my... Uh, on my mother's side, there are dairy farmers in Nakasho, north of San Francisco. Uh-huh. Um, they actually own property right across the street from uh, George Lucas's place. Wow. Um, my dad has a picture of a pool hall on the corner of Union and Montgomery Street that was taken, I think, in 1850-something that it has our family name on it. Nice, nice. Uh, my cousin still lives there. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, so we've got a, a long uh, long history in California. Um, well, speak- I'm not sure where that was going, but anyway. Well, you know, I, the, the show is going where it's going to go, and we're, we, we will be talking about COVID, because I'm, I'm frankly getting beyond frustrated with it. It's, it's just like one of the most irrational areas of public policy I've ever seen in my life in terms of mm-hmm. what they're restricting and what they're saying and then what they're doing when they're saying they're you should be doing something different. But I think one of the things, and we're when you and I are talking, that we always should talk about is what we're reading. And so I've, I've been reading a lot on the history of black American racism with Lerone Bennett Jr., who, as I mentioned last week, was uh, an influence of Malcolm X. Anyway, you were talking about immigration. I was just thinking about, you know, reading up in the details of the the whole slave thing and how it covered about 400 years. It was really a global thing. It wasn't just like... Mm-hmm. You know, the only United States was the one manipulating the blacks and taking advantage of them. It was, you know, there were countries all over the world that were importing black slaves. And, of course, and and even Bennett cited this, there were white slaves that were bought and sold uh, in America, especially with the Irish people. Yeah. And that's been criticized, but it, it is what it is. And, of course, it wasn't at the same level. I'm not belittling that part of it. Um, we also made slaves out of the Native Americans. But what was interesting is how did, how did it become like predominantly black? Because when the blacks first came over here, they actually had prestige and, and they were 
there were pastors of white congregations, and they, they, they weren't just slaves. And then what happened is the, the white people, even though they were in bondage or slavery, they, they were still white, so they had some rights through the church. And it became a, th- it became a thing about flight, as Bennett described, because if a, if a white slave fled, they blended into the crowd just based on the color of their skin. If a black person fled, they obviously stuck out, so it was easy to catch them. And Native Americans fled, they knew how to live off the land and disappear, so they basically, once they took off, they were gone. And they also died at a super high rate compared to the white and black slaves, so Native Americans didn't make good slaves. So it ended up by default, and just by cosmetic skin color, standing out or not standing out, uh, the blacks ended up getting the the raw end of the deal, but anyway, I, I, when you're talking about immigration, this is something that came to mind. So, I don't want to dive yeah. off into that too deeply. But I do. while Ron's talking, I'm reading all this serious stuff. I'm reading the Lust Lizard of Melancholy Cove. Now, who wrote that? Christopher Moore. Mm. Is that is that a new? I don't even know about this. Oh yeah, he's now. absolutely hilarious. Yeah, a book I'm, I just started was called Lamb. The Gospel According to Biff, Christ's Childhood Pal. Well, you know, sometimes humor is involved just to, to survive. You know? Most of the time. I was at the park yesterday. I was, you know, doing some training on the, the, the parkour equipment. You know, the, I was doing some pull-ups mm-hmm. and dips and recline pulls and push-ups and stuff. And there was a little—they were probably about five. And there was a little Latina girl there and a little black girl. And they were really cute. They were just kind of hanging out, you know, and we were, the men were doing their thing, you know, and a couple ladies were there. And, and then I heard the little black girl says, <laughs> I, I, had, I, I had to contain myself from just laughing out loud. She goes, I am not a Trump supporter. <laughs> <laughs> and she exclaimed this like, you know, twice, very confidently, you know, and I just thought mm-hmm. it was, it was just funny. I mean, you know, uh-huh. you had to laugh a little bit, but, but anyway, back to the COVID thing, I'm, so I, pull, yeah. I pulled up the, the, the death rates. I've talked a lot about death rates for months in my 1918 uh-huh. report. So right now, uh, the death rates from uh, COVID-19 uh, in the United States, the highest death rate we have is in New Jersey, the state of New Jersey. It's 187 per 100,000 people. And Doug Orchard, the filmmaker, I was talking to him this morning, and he said Vermont just went on total shutdown, and they've got the lowest death rates in the country, and they still went on total lockdown, and they have like nine per... Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there's... Um, uh, I was reading a report today on what's going on right now. Uh, yeah. New Mexico has closed its borders to people from high-risk states, which, after I counted them, realized there was 51 states that were considered high risk and people from those states would not be allowed into New Mexico. Ooh, it's getting, so it's pretty it, much cut itself off. Um, there's a couple of things about it's easy to get lost in um, in things like uh, you know the death rates, for instance, yeah. or who's closing their borders or who's not closing their borders. And it's very easy to get wrapped up in the rhetoric of it all. Sure. What is not easy, it would appear, for people is to just find a valid source of information. Mm-hmm. Well, that's um, getting anybody, harder to do. Yeah. Anybody that's listening to this, um, and I hope 
you can put this in the show notes. I've sent you videos by this guy before. There's a guy named Dr. John Campbell. Right. Who has been reporting on this since, I think, January. He consistently reports on the most up-to-date information that's available. He consistently cites every one of his sources and includes them in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And is the first person to say, okay, this is what we knew last week. It changed. This is what we know this week. That's why the treatments have changed so drastically, because we know more about how the disease behaves. Right. Um, And he will always give you the straight shit. He has no political agenda. He has no uh, bias. He's He's not in anybody's pocket. He's just reporting on the facts. He has been a doctor. He's worked all over the world. He has sources all over the world. He gets information from every country in the world. And he will cite these sources. Um, You know, if you hear something about China, check with Dr. John Campbell. He's probably got it. So he's easy to find on YouTube. And, and of course, Michael reads extensively and, um, you know, usually, maybe not always, but usually Michael's (laughs) fairly accurate with his information. Uh, and and I I must admit even even for people like us that do a lot of reading and research and have for decades, mm-hmm. it's really difficult to put faith trust in any kind of source anymore. And I maybe that's why I lean on history so much, although that can be manipulated too. But when you start triangulating and cross referencing mm-hmm. and teasing the truth out, that that this yeah, the, and that's, that's certain where things Dr. come. John Campbell comes in. He's just an accurate, reliable consistently reliable source of information. All right. I mean, I'll, I'll put that I'll put the link for that on the bottom of the show page um, later. Yeah. For and sure. I mean, you know, it, it it requires of you anywhere from 20 to 35 minutes a day. Right. to become who you are from who you are now to become the smartest person in the room about the current developments in COVID. Well, here's the thing. Like we've never seen anything like this before, and I'm just very skeptical. You know, I mean, it, it, history repeats, and there are certain things that just kind of happen a certain way, even though we might go generations in between, especially with pandemic behavior. Mm-hmm. And there's some really wonky stuff going on here. And I just, I've, I've always felt, after I really got into it and started learning about the the threat that the 1918 influenza posed and the, and the measures put into place to deal with it, I felt mm-hmm. that... Um, our response is extremely disproportionate to the actual threat of the virus, and I feel like the cure is going to do more harm than good. In fact, um, this might be a good time to bring this in. Uh, Time magazine um, put out an article about you know, projecting that 121 million people could be pushed to the brink of starvation this year as a result of the disruption to food supply and production. Mm-hmm. And, then, of course, they... They cited more towards the the countries that already have issues like Yemen and and the Republic of Congo, Afghanistan, mm-hmm. Venezuela, you know, Ethiopia, Sudan. But you know, we've seen issues here. Whether it's just because of fear or supply line issues, we can debate mm-hmm. that. But um, there, there's. I mean, here's the thing, man. Um, <laughs> It, it, and I, this kind of comes in from me reading a lot of Hoffer. Um, uh-huh. At some point, you have to have common sense because the medical profession and the PhDs oftentimes completely sell us up the river, and so does science. So at some point, you have to step back away from all the bullshit 
mm-hmm. and just make your own decision here. Look at the facts and think about it for a moment. So I'm just taking a common sense approach to this. It's just not adding up because I'm seeing, especially in California, there are all these people that can't go to work and they're they're living on temporary um, an influx of money from the government. But this this is not going to last forever unless we completely go to socialism, which is another issue because Garcetti was quoted in a news um, source that I heard this morning saying that the the future is is going to be um, you know guaranteed incomes. You know, this is the kind of crap that they're talking about, and that's from a historical standpoint, that's extremely dangerous, because when you when you give people free shit, and they don't have that work ethic, you you basically crush their souls. You know, chronic. Well, I had actually um, uh, considered at one point writing a letter to uh, Elon Musk, mm-hmm. and. Asking them if he would be interested in participating in a study. And the purpose of this study would be to find out exactly how shiftless and lazy an unemployed middle-aged white male can get if you give him a model scum. Mm. I, I suggested two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and I would become as shiftless and lazy as a person <laughs> can get. Uh, <laughs> Indeed, he has he has not responded. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it was going to be a five-year study, so I would, of course, need that money every year. Yeah. Well, it ruins people. And so, you know, that's just not the answer, and that's not who America is. And that that seems to be, at least this year, the way things are going. So I'm very, very concerned about that. And it just robs people spiritually. But it's just it's just not adding out. I'm going to go back to these numbers a minute, because the highest death rate in our country is 187 per 100,000. The mm-hmm. lowest death rate here on uh, November 17th is is uh, Vermont with nine per 100,000. So I'm going uh-huh. to throw a couple numbers out from 1918. In Boston, Massachusetts, the death rate was 710 to 100,000. Fall mm-hmm. River, Massachusetts, 621 to 100,000. The lowest death rate of the hundred of the cities with 100,000 population or higher that the CDC reviewed was mm-hmm. Grand Rapids, Michigan, and they had 211 per 100,000. That was the lowest the mm-hmm. highest was actually uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and they attributed that to the bad air with the steel industry because that obviously had some lung issues with pneumonia and things, and that was uh-huh. 807 per 100,000, and they were shut down like three to six weeks in the average. So here we are after all this stuff at mm-hmm. 187 with the highest death rate, and we've been shut down since March. It's just not adding up. Okay, so what that leaves out is if you focus strictly on the death rate, first you have to deal with the underreporting. Um, there are people that died alone in their house of COVID that were not reported as COVID deaths. Dude, I'm going to disagree um, with you on this. There, we, we're over-reporting this. No, no. We're, I, well, um, there's no way to tell unless everybody's been tested. There's no way to tell. And also, it um, tends to ignore the ongoing physical problems that are developing as an after effect of having COVID. We are getting ongoing, permanent um, pulmonary fibrosis, ongoing, permanent cognitive disorders, ongoing, permanent organ damage. And these are things that are not going away. These are things that people are going to have for the rest of their well, lives. Well, with some people, but there are a lot of comorbidities 
as you know, that are involved here, and we're still not really talking about root cause solutions with just getting people healthier in general. Right, but the the um, the comorbidities are definitely a factor. But a lot of these things that are showing up are in younger and healthier people. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that it can't entirely be laid at the door of a unhealthy population. Although I think what we did, didn't we reached like forty percent uh, morbid obesity last week or something like that. It's yeah, and it's getting worse by the month this year. Yeah. So, so the, but, the thing is that um, if you get lost in figures, mm-hmm. I mean, we both know, and we've talked about this that had we responded immediately, effectively, and universally, we would have had this done in April or May of last year. Well, yeah, we did. But we didn't. We, we, did. we responded yeah. haphazardly. We took baby steps. We didn't do the things we were supposed to do. New Zealand, on the other hand, as we've talked about, did. Yeah. They're done. Right. They've been done for a long time. They're, everything is back to what is considered normal. So factoring... So, so factoring that in, though, the, you can't you can't take psychology off the table. And at this point, we're beyond flu fatigue, and people are just aren't going to continue to take this. And I would argue, if they do, that we're we're done as a country. Mm-hmm. And that's a bold well, statement. Would, um... But I'm just saying because it because at three weeks in 1918, people were going batshit crazy. They were they mm-hmm. were sick of the being locked down. They were having issues psychologically. And that's when a lot of the masking things came into play. It was a secondary strategy because they knew they couldn't lock people down again after mm-hmm. letting them out. And so I would okay. I would argue that what happened what happened to the spine of America? We just get led around by the bull nose uh, ring here, and and we just continue to just do whatever we're told to do endlessly. Yeah, but the thing is, we don't. Um, and you've you we since you brought up masks. We talk about math since we disagree so drastically on that. That's um, all right. I, in order to not entirely blow smoke up your ass this morning, took one of those common blue surgical masks that you get in any grocery store yep. now in packs of 10. Yep. And I put it in the sink and filled it with water. Mm-hmm. Not one drop of water leaked out. The outside of the mask was completely dry. Yeah, but those don't fit and tight. The point, well, well the, the point that that brings up is that masks, although possibly an ancillary uh, uh, intervention, mm-hmm. prevent you from spewing virus all over your friends. That's the that's the big plus to masks. I'm not. You also have. I mean, there, and there's different kinds of masks. There's like you know those gator things that people pull up over their faces, right? Absolutely useless. Worse than not wearing a mask because what they do is they actually aerosolize the virus as it comes out. There's been extensive studies on the blue masks, on N95, on two layers of cotton, mm-hmm. um, uh, masks with pockets in them that you can insert uh, shop towels in, which work beautifully, and that was tested extensively probably six to eight months ago. Well, well hey, I... Um, and the thing about it is, is A... And in my opinion, the most important thing, you are showing concern for your friends, for your family, for your neighbors by wearing a mask. Okay, so there, um, there are two things here. We've got the psychology, and then we got the, the actual physiology of it. And I and for the for the record, I've never I've never just uniformly said that the, the masks aren't going to do anything, mm-hmm. 
even though I think how we're doing them is complete bullshit and very ineffective. But the way people are wearing the mask, the types of masks they're wearing, I mean, you can take that blue mask that most people are wearing, and it's so ill-fitting that there's going to be stuff leaking out of it all over the place. Now, is it is it going to stop if I sneeze and those droplets aren't going to fly directly into your face? Yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think, you know, it's just not... It, it One intervention... <laughs> is not really going to do much. And so now well, we're, 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 we're so screwed up with this because we didn't follow the established protocols laid out clearly in writing that I've read and reported on for months coming out of the 2006-2007 conferences and meetings and published research. And so now we're screwed. And the psychology is yep. huge here. Do I wear my mask if it says wear a mask and go into business? Yes, I do that for the reasons you stated to make people feel better. Do I think it's mm-hmm. making a huge difference? No. Now I might I can be criticized by some for not having enough balls just to just to you know not wear it, but I'm just typically by default a pretty nice person, and I like to mm-hmm. think that you know I'm I'm here to help people even if it makes them feel better, you know. Mm-hmm. So th- that's what I'm doing with it. Yeah. Well, another thing about the masks is they help keep the virus in. If you're asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic, it will help keep that in you rather than spreading it around. There was a lot of worry early on about, uh, I think they're called fomites, which was uh, viral particles left on solid surfaces Mm -hmm. after people breathed out. That's been disproven. Um, It's not as big a problem as they had first thought. Um, The other thing a mask will do, regardless of how ill-fitting it is, unless it's one of those stupid gator things, is going to reduce the viral load. Mm -hmm. I guess that's called the inoculum. The amount of virus, if someone use it in your direction, will be reduced merely by the fact that you have a mask on. There's um, uh, three contributing factors that are responsible now for the majority of the community spread of the virus. Um, that's close contact, um, time of uh, engagement, and the environment that you're surrounded by. So like three people or six people or 12 people, no mask in an enclosed environment for an extended period of time have a much higher chance of contracting the virus than say if there's 12 people in an open environment. And then if there's 12 people in an open environment who are maintaining a distance, then there's even less chance of transmitting the virus. Yeah, we... Twelve people in an open environment, all wearing masks, and limiting the amount of time they spend together, there's almost no chance of transmitting the virus. Almost all of the community spread that's taken place has been because of gatherings where people ignore those three things. Yeah, we got into this last time. We talked about parts per million with CO2 and using a CO2 meter that you can purchase for $100, $150. US mm-hmm. Basically, the more CO2 you have in the room, the less the air is fresh. And so there's more things recirculated. So the idea is to get that under 800 parts per million on the CO2 side, mm-hmm. and that way there's enough fresh air supply to really basically slam the infection risk uh, to the to the basement. And there's still a chance, but, you know. And I think we do need to be doing stuff, more stuff like that. But here's the thing that's coming out, and we've been talking about this for— uh, months is is the hygiene of the damn mask like i heard this morning on a radio report they're recommending that you know if you're outside working and sweating and stuff you should be going through multiple masks a day look here's the common sense thing 
There's no way people are going to do that. They're not going to yeah. wash their mask every day. They're not going to change those little blue masks three or four or five times a day if they're working construction. They're just not going to do it. You have to be reasonable mm-hmm. here. You know, this is why in 1918 they threw the mask thing in later, and they didn't have a—most some, some cities did go into second lockdown, but most of them didn't do it. They just dealt with it, and they blew through mm-hmm. it. And I just don't think it's—I mean, especially when you're talking about people losing everything and being turned out in the street, and now you've got starvation issues. You want, you want to talk about civil unrest? Wait till millions and millions and millions and millions of Americans are out in the street with no food. Mm-hmm. There won't be—the Black Lives Matter and the Antifa, it won't even matter at that point. Those people mm-hmm. will be mowed down in a New York second. It's not going to matter. There are yeah, higher well, an priorities. Interesting, uh, an interesting uh, point that could be made and what is causing a lot of the starvation, a lot of the food insecurity in other countries, and it will very shortly begin to causing that here is unprecedented droughts and or rain mm-hmm. it is destroying crops preventing crops from growing killing animals killing livestock um, so I mean there's a rabbit hole there you can go down well I know that's um, probably a topic for another show but I'm, I'm just I mean we could talk about it because we could talk about anything we want to but I, I just think uh, that might dilute our other points I don't know yeah. Well, the point I'm trying to make is that, um, as it, well, you know what the point is I'm trying to make, but maybe our listening audience of one, whoever's listening to this, doesn't know the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> we're, is that, we're getting each other to think, and if we just do that, then that we've, we've been successful today. <laughs> yes. Um, it's... Uh, the mass thing is just, to me, it, like I knew, and I'm sure you agree, it's a common courtesy. Yeah. As to the actual physiology of how much they're doing, how much they're preventing, that's been relatively well documented in other countries. Um, if, like, six people wear a mask and 30 people don't, then the mask is going to have no effect at all. The disease is still going to spread. If, you know, five people say, okay, we should kind of just stay home, and not go out and interact to a great extent, and a thousand people say, fuck that, we're going out anyways, then nothing's going to help. So as long as we keep behaving like spoiled children who are having their precious rights stepped on, nothing's going to help. And right now, at this point in time, it's way past any um, government's ability to control in this country. Well, I and I like to consider myself a pretty reasonable person and a kind person and <clears throat> Mm-hmm. At my baseline, right? So, I, mean, I don't want people to freak out if you know because I'm going to demand my right to go under the, you know, store without a mask on. I mean, I, I'll put the mask on. I'm not really a believer in how we're doing it, but if it makes somebody feel better, uh, I'll bite that bullet for mm-hmm. them. Uh, I'm not going to bite the bullet when I'm exercising because now we're getting into exercise physiology and gas oh, transfers right. well, no, and all that see, stuff. See, that's another thing. It's like. Um, there's actually a group up here in Santa Cruz called uh, Goat Fitness, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, they're totally capitalizing on COVID, and they've opened up, uh, contracted with a park, and they've opened up a whole series of outdoor classes. Every 
everybody stays 10 feet apart, everybody does fine. They mm-hmm. kind of recommend that you take your temperature before you come, but they don't 100% um, you know, enforce that. But, um, I mean, the, the, to me, the blessing and the curse of COVID, the blessing was it forced you to shut down your gym and rethink things. The curse was it forced you to shut down your gym and rethink things. Well, we could argue that we all should have shut down and rethought things. And we talked mm-hmm. about this last week, is that <clears throat> if you if you haven't read at least one book this year, mm-hmm. I mean, I think you're a fool. That's just my personal opinion, you know? Yeah. You're and, not going to get a better chance to read a book than 2020. Uh-huh. I mean, because we all had—well, not everybody. I mean, if you're a FedEx driver, maybe— you have an excuse. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you know, most of us had some extra leisure time, forced leisure here. And that is mm-hmm. the opportunity. And, in, and it's in those times when you, you have space to expand your thought mm-hmm. and stretch your soul that creativity mm-hmm. comes out of that. So the upside of this, if we don't completely cannibalize ourselves in, in massive riots and civil war in the next few months, is that... <laughs> and we can come back is that we should see a flourishing of the arts and music and, and, and things that are more on the creative side in 2021, 2022, because people had time to think things over and to get uh, more knowledge. Now the flip side of this, this is a thought I wrote down in my daily journal notes and I thought this would be great to run by Michael. Now, as, as Michael and I know, there are cycles of civilization that are documented in history. And there are certain phases that nations and and civilizations go through, and these are pretty much repeated throughout history. At the end of these five or seven phases, depending on who you're reading and how many there are, there's absolute chaos and anarchy. And what brings the country into the next cycle is a dictator comes in to reestablish and restore order. At that point, the people are so disordered that they accept the dictator, and even some some of them might welcome the dictator because they know that they just have to have some kind of order. You can't just you can't really survive in total anarchy, right? So I had this thought, Michael, as as we're looking at this in 2020, and just this is just a projection. Is not COVID a representative of the chaos, which is the title of the show today, COVID Chaos? And mm-hmm. is the vaccine riding over the horizon now in the weeks to come a figurative dictator to come and restore order? And with that order that's restored by the dictator comes a loss of freedom. That is an absolute given. Because mm-hmm. when you get the vaccine and the idea is to get everyone to do it, people are writing about this. Comes the vaccine digital travel card or whatever it's going to end up being. And now you can't go to a concert unless you have your vaccine. You can't travel unless you have your vaccine. I mean, Ticketmaster is already talking about you can't get concert tickets and go to a concert unless you have a COVID test. Mm-hmm. And there are also there's also discussions about the vaccine, how that's going to play into it. So these are thoughts that I had based on history, and I I think it's just an interesting thing to put on the table and really um, 
you might disagree with it, but I, I like people to think, even if they disagree, instead of just scream and yell expletives with the three-word well, vocabulary. I mean, as far as uh, this whole COVID and the vaccine being a metaphor for that type of... Uh, um, that type of development, I think it's perfect. Well, you know, we keep coming up with all these immunizations and vaccines, and I'm not an anti-vaxxer person per se, Mm -hmm. but I am a health person, and I have been for decades, and we keep getting more and more of this stuff that we're pushing on our kids, and they keep getting wackier and wackier, and we seem to be less and less healthy, so... I mean, I'm just thinking of, uh, I, you know, Einstein's definition of insanity. We keep doing these things, expecting uh, a different result, and the only thing that's different is it seems to be getting worse and not better. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't, uh, I don't know about everybody else, but I think the last time I got a flu vaccination, mm-hmm. I was seven years old. Wow, that's that's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't get them anymore. I haven't. I haven't. Haven't had a flu uh, shot for years and years and years. I'm just. Yeah. I mean, but then I. I. I tend to behave responsibly. I try to take care of myself. Make sure that I supplement to the extent necessary. If I'm sick, I stay home. Right. Um. So I take it upon myself to behave like a responsible human being. You do your due diligence. In addition diligence. to. Yeah, and taking care of myself to the extent that I can. <clears throat> and, you know, I got sick. My daughter was sick. She came back from Argentina sick last year. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever it was she had, I caught. <clears throat> and I was sick for like, I don't know, four days. Mm-hmm. And then it was gone. Yeah. Well, people get sick and they die. I mean, it's like, you know, it's just the way that it is. I don't. I don't think we can medicalize against every single bacterium and... I mean, you know, it, it gets to be oh, no. where we're, we're weakening our immune systems by artificially propping the immune system up all the time. I'm just well, very concerned about it. I talked to a doctor once about that whole thing. And he said, well, the reason that we get sick so often, that the reason that we seem to be almost chronically ill, is because we don't spend enough time picking things up off the ground and eating them. Oh, yeah. You wait. Wait. Here's a prediction. It's going to come true. Wait for 2021 because we're going to be getting sick at a much higher level. Why? Because we've been inside, away from other people. Our immune systems mm-hmm. have kicked down. We're trying to sterilize every little thing, and we're not exposing ourselves to enough bacteria and, mm-hmm. and just things out there that build up the strength of our immune systems. And just watch. So, mm-hmm. I mean, some of these uh, areas, their death rate, overall death rate, is actually lower right now than a normal year and what that tells mm-hmm. us yeah well people aren't going outside they're not exposing themselves and so even with the covid deaths that we didn't have last year the overall death rate has come down so much that the numbers are lower wait till next year though because when it's low one year it's high the next or higher mm-hmm. and that's i i just see that because we have people isolated inside so that's messing with their vitamin d levels we've got increased obesity going on the alcohol sales are up you know so we know people are drinking more and you know it's it doesn't take a rocket scientist here or epidemiologist by profession to see where this is going this is a common sense i went into a a liquor store in los angeles right after the 2008 uh, financial fluffle Mm -hmm. um and i said so how you guys doing i mean you staying afloat and he goes oh yeah when times are good people drink and smoke (laughs) <laughs> Times are bad, 
people drink and smoke more. <laughs> so, <laughs> By the way, that reminds me, you know, Michael was the first one that said things are going to get bad uh, before they get worse. And I thought, wow, that's like, I had to think about that a while. And then I'm, I'm watching some uh, documentary footage of, of uh, Winston Churchill's actual speeches, and he actually said the same exact thing. So Michael, Michael got kind of blown up because he thought, wow, I'm, I'm a smart guy. I'm like Churchill, right? Well, I'm reading uh, um, Lerone Bennett's book on um, uh, you know, the black history before the Mayflower because they were here before Columbus. Most people mm-hmm. might not understand that. And he has a quote in there from Lincoln at, uh, into the Civil War. And by the way, Lincoln would—I don't think Lincoln really gave a damn about the slaves. Is this this is kind of stuff that came in later because he had to do something to pull the Union together. That's kind of my consensus right. of it. But he actually said that same thing. Things have gotten, things are getting bad before they get worse. So I, I'm thinking that Churchill got it from Lincoln. <laughs> and Michael channeled both. Churchill and Lincoln. Because you're a smart guy. (laughs) And then I steal it from you because I'm smart enough to take it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you could be, there was one guy that said uh, the way he disseminates information, he'll start out by saying, well, as this guy has always said, and then the next step will be, as I have always said. Right. And, you know, eventually taking credit for it. And, you know, and uh, as you and I both know, we could pretty much say anything and steal from anybody, and nobody would know because they don't read or look into historical things at all. Oh, right. I tell you, I've gotten so many good one-liners. I mean, Hoffer's a great guy. I mean, I, But, you know, there are dozens of people that we read that are just—they have the big ideas— Mm-hmm. And they got the big ideas from following history. So all the people I study are historians, basically. Mm-hmm. They all knew history, and it's critically important. And then this is why I got into the black history. People are talking shit about black history and racism. It's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into this because it seems like it's probably an important topic for 2020. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm asking myself now, I wonder how many black people know about like deep, deep state black history. Mm-hmm. And if not, why not? Right, it's a rational question, you know, because I, you know, I, I haven't heard other people talking about the things that I'm reading much. I mm-hmm. think it scares people, whether they're white or black. But that's okay. Yeah. I'm, 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 I've gotten comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's one of the things Good. I've learned along the way. Well, there's, uh, this is a, I think, uh, it's kind of a stretch of an example, but you remember bulletproof coffee, right? Yes. Um, put a pound of butter in your coffee in the morning and then claim you're full all day. <laughs> um, evidently, he um, cited a lot of research to back that up, and, and almost none of it mm-hmm. had anything to do with putting butter in your coffee. Mm. He basically paid people to do keyword searches and then pulled up whatever research came up because he was fully aware that nobody would read the research. Right, 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 right. right. So I did the same thing. I wrote an article called Why I'm Quite Possibly the smartest person in the world and most definitely have superpowers. Mm-hmm. And I found, I don't know, half a dozen medical journals to back that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is where you got to get into the common sense thing that I explained before. Because, you know, if, if I was thinking about this before the show, like, well, what are we going to talk about today? I've, I've read enough at this point in my life mm-hmm. to have a distrust and a real skepticism 
for any kind of organization or group, and especially governments, and especially United States government. So you, you have to, you know, read what you can read, and don't read just one source and one point of view. Cross-reference the hell out of it, and then just mm-hmm. step back and ask yourself, does it make sense? You know, I've often lamented about spending 15 years in construction before I spent 13 years in college and universities, because I thought mm-hmm. I wasted all this time, and, I, and, and just to be transparent, I've never really caught up with that time that I quote-unquote wasted. But mm-hmm. I'm thinking today, and, and, and at times in the past, too, that my years in construction taught me to have common sense, Mm-hmm. Because the people that go from high school to college and right into the job, there's something missing with them a lot of times. They don't, they, they can't, there's just a lack of practicality to them, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. working in construction and working with tools and, you know, seeing plans that didn't work and figuring out how to adapt things, I think that's critically important and it is a real advantage. And it's be, it's really given me the ability to go through some highly intellectual, scholarly research and material and make sense out of it to help the common everyday person. I don't mean that putting them down because I consider Uh myself in that population. And I I think that's critically important. Now, I don't know about you, but I mean, some of the, some of the most mentally unstable people I've ever known in my life is, have been at the PhD level. Now, not uh, everyone, but I'm telling you, man, there are some there are some professors out there that are absolutely whacked, man. And so mm-hmm. you don't have to have a PhD to be able to make sense out of this stuff, and and also balance it in the, your your whole life equation outside mm-hmm. of the academia world, you know. Well, like I'm I'm living proof that you don't have to have a PhD to be whacked either. That's true. That is true. Absolutely. Um, they wanted me to get a PhD in grad school, and I just said, why? Because exactly. I could see, that if I got one thing out of grad school, it's how, it's how, uh, it's how, not just corrupt, but how dysfunctional higher education could be, because I really saw that side of it at the graduate level, too. Mm-hmm. And I got some really cool stuff out of my grad study, so I'm not, like, totally knocking that, but I just, like, the writing was on the wall for me. It's like I'm going to do a PhD thesis on something that isn't very practical, and and just so I can have the PhD, I'm ready to go right now and start helping people. And and of course, if anybody that really knows me would probably heard me say this, that most of what I know and use now to help people, um, I never learned in college. I learned it mm-hmm. after after school because what I learned in school was how to do my own research and reading and make sense out of it and. Also, how to listen to some mentors who helped guide me along the way, and back to the common sense stuff, you know. Well, there was a, a, a professor that a friend of mine had in Michigan. Um, I forget what college he was going to, but uh, he was a English professor. And the first assignment he gave everybody when they came into class was he wanted them to write an essay about what they wanted to do with their lives. Mm-hmm. And then he collected all the essays on Wednesday. He said he'd return them on Friday. And he came in Friday and he put them down on his desk and looked out with a big smile on his face and go, you people are brilliant. Some of these essays are like, God, why didn't I think of that? You want to do some great stuff with your life. So my only question is, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> and he, that teacher was responsible for about 70% of the people who went through his class quitting school 
going on to do what they wanted to do. Interesting, yeah. And making it quite successful. So, I mean, you know, if you look at the people that don't have college degrees, uh, Einstein, I think, is going to stand out. Mm-hmm. Steve Jobs. Uh, I don't think even what's his name, the Microsoft guy, Bill Gates, has a degree. I think he quit, too. Well, we're, I think we're going to see more of this next year because one of the things, one of the, I would say one of the upsides of 2020 has been to expose a lot of the bullshit going on with higher education in America. A lot what of these the kids are going through, young adults, some of them are kids, um, through this $100,000 of debt or more, and they mm-hmm. don't have what they need to do much of anything. And mm-hmm. so what is it worth? And, and and especially now with such a one-sided left-wing agenda, and I, uh-huh. I, I'm a firm believer, you're going to go to college, you should see the far-left agenda, and you should see the far-right agenda, you should see the middle agenda, and you should all have a opportunity to discuss that and write about it and do presentations in front of your classmates. Mm-hmm. And in this cancel culture, we can only talk about one side. I think that's absolute bullshit, and it's extremely dangerous. Hoffer was writing about this in the 60s because he was working at Berkeley as a mm-hmm. research professor, and he saw it developing there. A bunch of spoiled brats, you know, protesting and rioting that, you know, they're, they're criticizing the American system, but yet they had the bank account to be able to do it. And right. so I, I think that, that part, need, that house of cards need to, needs to come crashing down. And, and, oh, it will. And yeah. it, as it should, because it doesn't deserve to be there. Now, the next thing is, where are the universities that are going to rise up to the occasion and, and seize the opportunity to build something robust that really has staying power? And they're not calling me yet, but they should be. Yeah. I'm telling you. They haven't called me. There's not one physical education program in the United States of America that I can recommend when people ask me. And that's mm-hmm. an absolute tragedy. So we we need to build a classical uh, physical education program somewhere in this country before it's absolutely too late. And I'm the last credentialed physical education teacher in America that is teaching classical methods or that is young enough to go teach those methods. And that is a shame. It's absolutely tragic. I'm not saying there's some really awesome PE teachers out there, but when it comes to the stuff that I know— and how to teach it, there isn't anyone else doing it. And that's uh-huh. dangerous, because those methods are what built our country, and when we stopped doing them, we ended up with what we've got now, which is a lot of comorbidities and people morbidly obese and completely out of shape that don't think we're the damn. You know, I, I'm surprised that this shit didn't happen a long time ago, to be honest with you. You know, the civil unrest and the, the you know, the... The Black Plague coming in, you know, proverbially and just wiping us out. I mean, the writings have been on the wall. I've been talking about this stuff for years, and before that, Jacqueline was talking about it. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's easy to and spot. That was back when there was time left to talk about it. Yeah, it's just a matter of time. Be, you, you know, I you went, um, can't be weak went, and expect to hang out very long. Went to a grocery store the other day, and the sycophantic person behind the counter did as they always do and say, "Hey, hi, how are you?" And I looked at them and I said, well, considering we're all going to be dead or dying in two to five years, I'm doing remarkably well. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, life, kinda, is, life is short, the, the man. Wind, yeah, it took the wind out of their sails. I mean, people 
regularly. I mean, this is obviously a departure from what we were talking about, but the hi, how are you culture, I just fucking hate it. Well, no, no, well, because we're both English guys in college too, so now we can we can finish a show with uh, uh, a little R.S. Moriendi, which is the art of dying well, and and the Memento Mori, which is a reminder of death. That's why I have so many skulls all over the place because. Uh-huh. You know, in medieval times, they they the Black Plague was so prominent that they they wanted a reminder that they were all mortal, no matter how many. And this is not for your benefit, because I know you know this, but that for everybody else listening, whoever that might be, there was a they didn't want to escape the reality that this is a very temporary situation here, right? And so that you go to somebody's home to go visit, and there'd be a little skull in the door, you know, or there'd be a skull in the house. So I have I have skulls all over the place it's not just the mexican day of the dead stuff you know it's it's a reminder how temporal this is and then we get into the whole like because i wrote a lot on death in college in my undergrad about the worms you ever get into the worm uh literature like you know the corpses and the worms and the the art that went the pen and ink drawings that went along with that there's this whole thing on worms and how we're going to be worm food and makes people very uncomfortable michael I don't care how fit you are and how beautiful beautiful you think you are. Eventually, uh, you will be consumed by the worms. Well, there was God. How long ago was this? Um, I don't know. Probably twenty, thirty years ago. Mm-hmm. There was this uh, fitness model that showed up in Penthouse and all the fitness magazines at the mm-hmm. time. Just off the charts beautiful, and she died. And ever after that, I've always, whenever I see a picture of her, I picture her as she looks now. Mm. You know, consumed by worms. 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 I I remember. I know who you're talking about. I can't think of her name, but I remember that. It's been decades ago, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it happens, and you know, this is why it reminds me of Rusty Rusty's rule: stop fucking with shit that doesn't matter. Because you know, we Mm -hmm. get we get carried away with all this frivolous bullshit, and then we we lose sight of the, men, the memento mori, the reminder of death that, hey, man, this is real. We're not going to be here forever. Stop wasting your time and start living yeah. your lives, okay? Easier said than done, I must admit, even for myself, yeah. right? But to to be swept up into the the monetization of life and, and the, the what you can buy. Hoffer wrote this great thing. I was reading this morning in my my morning ritual with Hoffer lately, and he wrote about how some men make money while they're sleeping, and those men don't sleep well, you know? And I thought it was very prolific, you know, because mm-hmm. it—and he was relating it to the American culture and our, our lack of rites of proper passage, and so people come up with these, these um, uh, you know, deviations to prove themselves and and to monetize life instead of doing what he claimed is God's work to be finished, which is to develop each individual to their fullest potential. That that was his way of looking at it um, as he wrote it down. And so I can argue that just playing Fortnite 25, 30 hours over a weekend probably isn't a person's highest potential in life. No. Especially as hey, a child, you know. At this very moment, driving while we talk, while we finish up the podcast, because, uh, well, 
frankly, and I hope this doesn't offend our listening audience, I've got to take a piss. All right. Well, that's it. on that note, it's probably good to bail because we've been doing it 55 minutes. If you, All right, cool. If, if you have a topic you want Michael and I to pontificate about or some questions to answer, let us know. We're going to do a few more shows where we just ramble on about current events and literature and memento mori, worms, whatever comes to our minds, because it's better than just sitting around playing Fortnite, watching <laughs> TikTok videos. Yum. All right, okay. Michael. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks. Yeah, Bye. Talk, talk to you next time. You've been listening to Lean Braves Radio Show at theleanbraves.com. Music today by Van Halen. Thanks, Eddie. Until next time, keep moving well to think well and be strong to be useful. Don't forget to read. <laughs>